right. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for his goodness and for his mercy. We thank God for every opportunity that we have to uh, be in his presence and to hear what he has for us. We thank God that we're able to um, to continue in the word because really it is the word that uh, that makes the difference. It's the word that turns things around. It's the word that fixes things. It's the word that, and if you if you if you're sinking, it will it will offer you a rope that you can pull yourself to to safety on. That that's just how powerful the word of God is. We are continuing, um, brothers and sisters, in our uh, study. Um, that we started on last week, uh, we began to talk about this um, um, biblical compassion. We did the first lesson last week. We will pick it up this week uh, for your reading. I'd like you to turn to Second uh, Corinthians. I'd like you to look at chapter four, and we're going to go through from verses uh, three through six, okay? So 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6 is our text that we are using. And the word of God says this, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As always, may God bless um, those that hear and listen to the word of God, but all the more those that obey the word of God. Amen. Those that uh, will do the word. Um, we always pray that God will have a, have a special blessing, add a really special blessing to those because I've said it before, I, I, and I'm probably going to keep saying it, the blessing is in the obedience. Okay, it, it that that's just the way that it is. The word of God, there is a blessing in listening to it and hearing it. It's very comforting. It's it's soothing. It gives it gives direction and all of these different things. But the but the blessing, the true blessing that is the word of God, that is the knowledge of the Most High. The true blessing is in the obedience, because what the word says, what God tells us, okay, it doesn't really manifest in our life. We don't really see it. It doesn't really come to fruition. The things that God says that are that belong to us or that we can do, you don't see it if you're not doing the word, if you're not following and obeying. So that that that's one thing that we really want to make sure that we are uh, aware of. We we began talking about biblical compassion, and we've been um, talking about this um, it from the standpoint of when the church stops caring and this biblical compassion is, um, is, is extremely important for those who will be, uh, listening to this live. You will, um, will leave the scripture, um, text second Corinthians four, three through six, um, on the screen. 
throughout the uh, the entirety of this lesson. That way you can just kind of follow along, make sure you have your notebook and that you're taking notes. Now, we we, we, we talked about biblical um, compassion, um, the beginning of it last week, okay? And, and we said that when the church stops caring or becomes indifferent, and that's something we don't want to do, but when a church does that, when they stop caring and when they become indifferent, we said that um, at the end of the day, it's the lost those who are lost that are deprived of direction, because in the church, God has given instruction and counsel. Okay. So the church in essence knows what to do. The church knows what to do or should know what to do in any situation, in any circumstance, because the word of God tells us what to do. That's what that means. Okay. When the church becomes indifferent and, um, 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 really which is uh indifference is an antonym to compassion so it's the opposite okay um when a church becomes indifferent it's it's those who are lost who don't know okay who are we talking about second corinthians chapter four verse number four in whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who is the image of god should shine unto them it's those people okay verse number three calls them them that are lost okay those that are lost are those who have had their minds blinded. And when the church stops caring and becomes indifferent, those who are lost, those who are blinded by Satan, that scripture says the God of this world, little G-O-D, what that's talking about is Satan's kingdom, Satan's rule, okay? Satan's government. That's what we're talking about here. And there are those who are lost, those that are lost, are, are so because Satan has blinded them, blinded their minds. They are blinded by either all of the activities and things, the busyness of life. It can be a number of reasons why people are blinded, okay? Their focus is on this. Somebody's focus is on that. All sorts of different things. They're involved in this and involved with that. They're just, you know, going to and fro and and every, and and constantly in in this state of flux, constantly in this state of mo motion, constantly going, 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 living life according to the systems of this world. Those are the ones who Satan's got his hooks firmly in, and those are the people that if our gospel is hid, it's hidden to them. So when the church stops caring or becomes indifferent, the lost are deprived of direction. They're not going to know because we have the direction, right? And we are not giving it to them. The sick, those who are sick, okay? Those who are, not, the, the, those, and by that, who are we talking about? Again, the lost, the same group of people are also those who are sick. How are they sick? They are sick in sin. They are laden in sin. They don't necessarily know that or realize that, okay? One of the most dangerous aspects of being lost is that you don't know you're lost. That's one of the most dangerous parts about being lost. See, it's bad to be lost 
but it's even worse to be lost and not know that you are lost. And the world, again, it's not, <laughs> not only are they lost, but they're in a severe catch-22, the same one that you and I were, were once in. Not only are they lost, but when the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in whom the God of the world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, blinded the minds, when he tells us that, when the apostle Paul tells us that, That is really telling us that not only are they lost, but they don't even know that they're lost. Many of them don't realize that they're lost. Some might realize that, man, there's something missing, something is, is off, but it doesn't really go too much further than that. They don't know what they don't know exactly what it is. But the church. The baptized, born-again believers in Christ Jesus who have been filled with the Holy Ghost, the church has the answer. The church has the solution. The church has the message. But if the church is blinded, or not blinded, but if the church is indifferent and no longer cares, then it's those people who suffer. Because the sick are refused the one and only cure. Okay. And we said that this is a price that's really too high for the church to be paying. And we and we've got to reevaluate. We've got to, we've got to 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 rethink about that. Last week we gave ourselves some challenges to wake up, to come out of that. Because when the church becomes indifferent, which just simply means that they, it's just a lack of concern, a lack of interest. It doesn't bother you. There are going to be a lot of people as, you know, as believers, if a church is doing what it's supposed to do, let's get down to it for just a second. If a church is doing what it's supposed to do, okay, throw out denomination. We're not, we're not talking about no denomination. We're not getting into any of that. That's foolishness. God is not about no denomination. Okay. But if a church is doing what it is supposed to do, and it is doing it according to the word of God, then here is a fact, here is a reality. You are going to get tired from time to time. Doing what God tells you to do requires work. You're going to put in work. You're not going to just be able to believe, to just have mental assent. Many people's belief goes no further than mental assent. They mentally agree, they mentally accept. But true faith to the Lord is not is meant not just mental assent, but mental assent that manifests itself in obedience. Okay, faith without works, the book of James tells us very plainly, faith without works is dead. There is no exception to that. If you have faith, if you believe in God but you do nothing or do none of what he says, your faith is void. Make sure you understand that. This is not me making that up. This is what the word of God teaches. Faith without works is dead. Why? Because it's alone. Scripture says being alone, 
does that mean? It means it's incomplete. You must look at faith like a coin that has two sides. If you have a coin, a legal coin that you can use to spin um, and purchase something, that coin, in order for it to be legal, must have both sides. It has to have, it's got to be spot on. You got to have both sides of the coin. You can't come with no one-sided coin. That's not legal. You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to make your own coin with, and just do one side. That's counterfeit. But the legal coin got to be made out of the right material. It's got to be pressed out of the right mint. And it's got to have the right um, superscriptions, if you will, on both sides. It's got to have all of that. All of those things. Well, faith is the same way, okay? And love actually is the same way as well when it comes to God. They're like coins. And they are not legal coins. They're not usable. They are not acceptable if they only have one side. You cannot have mental assent, mental acceptance, mental agreement, with the words of God and the ways of God and the will of God, and then no obedience to the will of God. You cannot have that discrepancy. If you'd have that discrepancy, you do not have true faith. You are not exercising true faith. You do not truly believe. You are not a true believer. It is as simple as that. God's word does not make it complicated. He makes it very simple. If you don't have that concern and everything's just unimportant to you, then those that really need what you have are going to suffer. We talked about four things um, in our last lesson um, to know beyond the fact of that God is love. We know that 1 John 4 and 8 tells us that God is love. We know that. That is a cardinal truth that all believers should know, need to know. Amen. But in addition to that truth, there are we talked about four other things that were important. We talked about one of them being, the first one being that God chose to love mankind. We gave you scriptures, John 3.16 and John 1 John 4.19. Amen. We also said, we said that number two, is that it's always been the will or the desire of God um, that mankind would love him in return, okay? So number one, God chose to love us. Number two, God's desire is, is that we would love him. And we have Deuteronomy 6 and 5 to, uh, to back that up. Number three is, is that God had already determined, it was always the will of God, that if we would respond to him in love, then he would respond yet again. Then he would respond to our love, okay? With what? Even more love. And we have Proverbs 8 and 17. So God chooses to love us. God desires us to love him. And then God says, if you love him, I'm gonna love you right back. Amen, I'm gonna give you even more love, okay? Those are the, those are the three things. The fourth thing is, is that it's always been the will of God Okay, that mankind would properly love one another. And we gave you Leviticus 19 and 18, Leviticus 19 and 34. And then we gave you Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. 
but when you get some time, I want you to look those up and, and familiarize yourself with those passages. So you've got those four things. God chose to love mankind. Man didn't earn that. Man didn't choose that. God did that. God then desired that man would love him. Amen. God then desired and designed that if man would love him, he would reciprocate that. He would respond to that with yet even more love. And then number four, God's will and desire is, is that we would love properly one another. We said there, we use that word properly love. Why? Because people love a whole lot of things that they shouldn't love. So there's a whole lot of improper love going on out there. No, God don't want no, your improper love. No, God wants you to operate in the proper love. Okay. Amen. He, and there's, and the Bible outlines the way that love looks like. Okay. We said all of these different things that people come up with to love and who, and all, no, 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 no. Do you, do you, do you get what I'm, do you get, that just doesn't work. You did no, that's not, that's that, that, that doing things and loving one another outside of the way God tells us to do so is not love. It's improper love. Okay. It's not, it's not what God wants. And we gave you the scriptures for that. And we said that, you know, one and two of those four things is easy for people to understand. But we said three and four is where people start to struggle. And we said the reason why people tend to struggle with three and four, though, though the, that third and fourth thing to, to know is, is, is because there is, um, um, you know, there's many reasons, but the chief among those reasons is a misconception that loving God and loving one another are independent of one another. We we really got it bad thinking that, you know, okay, there's loving God and then there's loving one of one another, and we can do them uh, independently of one another, okay? We separate that, okay? Um, but we learned that in truth, according to 1 John uh, 4 and 20, that one really can't exist without the other. If a man say, I love God and, ha and hateth his brother, he is what? A liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? The apostle John brings a, a, very, a, a, a very heavy fact to us and to our attention about love. And what he was revealing is, is that, you know what? If you get real, it's easier to love what you can see versus, versus loving what you can't see. He's saying, look, it's easier to love what you can see than to love what you cannot see. So if you go around talking about you love God who you cannot see, and that's harder to do, all the while, I'm hating mistreating, doing all the, <laughs> all the wrong stuff, not caring, being indifferent to my brother who I can see. And it would be easier to love. God says that, guess what? Your love for God, he said, that's a lie. That's what he's telling you. Your love for God, my love for God that exists in this area of where I claim to love God, but I just have no concern whatsoever for my fellow man. God says that love is a lie. 
God says, that love that you claim that you have for him, he said, it's a lie. It don't work. It doesn't work. And we said, that's the reason why people tend to struggle with that. They tend to um, look at loving God and looking at and look at loving one another as two separate things that can be independent. People act like, you know what? Well, I just, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this person. I'm, I, I, I'm done with this person. I'm this, that, and the other. I'm just going to go forward with loving God. And I, you know, and, and I could care less about him. I can care less about her. You can't do that. Brothers and sisters, you cannot walk in that unrighteousness. I am not allowed to walk in that unrighteousness. We just are not. I mean, in theory, it seems like it's a good idea, but it's a terrible idea because God doesn't accept it and he's not going to bless it. Listen, you, you, <laughs> if you're doing this thing the way God wants you to do, you're going to get tired. And there are going to be times where you don't want to do this. You don't want to put in the effort that it takes to love somebody. You don't want to put in the effort that it takes to forgive. There are going to be times where you don't want to do that. Because people will make you tired. People will frustrate you. People will disappoint you. People will let you down. And you know why? Because they're people. But so are you and I. And we have to remember that we've disappointed people. We have let people down. And although in this, in the, in, in whatever the current moment or situation is, you might be the one that's being let down and being disappointed. Before you throw the book at them, remember that you were the one doing the letting down. You were at one point doing the disappointing. But God had mercy. We have to have same, that same mercy. So we learned, we, we, we learned these things. We said that, you know, a man or a woman's love for God that is devoid of love for their fellow mankind. You can't just be go around loving your brother and your sister, those who's who is so-called easy, because we learn because our brother and sister is really the entire world that really deals with all of mankind. They might not be brothers and sisters in the sense that that there's camaraderie or their their true family, but on the basis that we are human beings. They are our fellow brothers and sisters. They are our fellow humanity. And a man or a woman, a boy or girl's love for God that is absent of the love for other people, that's not real love. Again, that's what 1 John 4 and 20 is trying to tell us. That's not real love. It's not real love in God's eyes. It may be okay. It may be cool. It may be the thing to do in, in, in your eyes or in my eyes, but it is not okay. It's not cool. It's not good. 
It's not the thing to do in God's eyes. It will never, look, it will never be acknowledged by God and it will never be accepted by God. God is holy. He doesn't bless mess. And guess what? That includes my mess. That includes your mess. God's never going to bless that. So in essence, you and I will never be able to get away with that. We will never be able to spin the yarn that says, God, I love you with everything that I have. All the while I'm mistreating my wife or I'm mistreating my children or I'm, I'm mistreating my, my, my coworkers, my job and, and other people. No, 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 no. Because if you're going around mistreating people, you're not walking in love. I know this is a very basic lesson, but man, I'm telling you, it's needed in our church. It's needed in our everyday life. You are not going to thrive operating in this way. The way of God is simple. Yes, it requires work and he gives us the Holy Ghost, his very own spirit, him. He gives us him in order for us to accomplish the work. But if you boil it down, the work is not that complicated. Even though we don't have the ability to do it on our own, it's still not complicated when you put it down on paper. Love is simple, yet it's difficult. That's why we need the aid of the Holy Ghost to, to be able to do this thing right and operate right. But in order for that to happen, we got to get on the Lord's side. But again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse three, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We got to get on the Lord's side. We got to get it right. But how are people going to do that? And just like we had to get on the Lord's side and get on and get it right. Other people still need to do that. Who are those other people? Again, those that are lost. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three. Those who Satan is working overtime to keep them lost. The, the, the devil don't just want you to be lost. He doesn't just want people to be lost. He wants them to stay lost. And he wants them to not know that they're lost. That's what he does when the scripture goes on and he tells us whom the God of this world has what? Blinded their minds. When your mind is blinded, you cannot see what is plainly before you and what is plainly before mankind. They are lost and they are headed to hell if they don't get off this roller coaster. That's what they're blinded to. Yet that fact stand, is standing front and center in front of them. It's in front of them at every moment, every single second. Yet so many of them are unable to perceive it. Why? Because if our gospel be hid, because we have hidden the gospel from them. And such a thing, family, should not be. This is just basic teaching, basic teaching. Amen. Amen. We got to be careful, we said, as it concerns this, 
Because if we die in such a state, okay? If we die in such a state, it will void our ticket to heaven as it will. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can claim to love God, but if you think, if you claim to love God, but you don't love your brother and your sister, that love for God that you think is going to get you into heaven, it is not. The fact that you have no love, had no love for your fellow mankind, I'm just keeping it real. If you die in that state, the state of I love God, but I didn't love nobody. God's going to cancel your flight plan because he's going to view it as you didn't really actually love him at all. In the end, because in the end, what it will do is, is that it will convict you and I on the grounds of murder according to scripture. Now, I told you we would dig into that. Go ahead and take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. Amen. If you die in that state of hatred towards your brother, your sister, fellow man, doesn't matter. All the while you talking about you loving God, God says, number one, according to uh, first, according to our scripture, first John four and 20, God tells us, number one, you're a liar. You don't love God if you don't love one another. Okay. But then we said, if you die in that state, that's going to cancel your flight plan. You think you're going to heaven. You're not going. I'm not going. And the reason why you're not going, the reason why I'm not going is because I am going to be convicted on the grounds of being a murderer, according to scripture. Now, that's a harsh thing to think about, but God's way is not our way. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And God sees things quite a bit different than the way you and I see it, or even the way that this world tries to project or sees things, okay? When you don't love your brother and your sister, God sees that totally different. Amen, amen. And I told you, that it will convict you on the grounds of murder. First John is, in, in fact, before we read First Peter 4 and 15, look at First John 3, 15. Whosoever hated his brother, watch this, is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. I hope you see it. I hope you see it. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer. He's saying, you already know. I shouldn't even have to explain. 
no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, you need to understand this because this is heavy here. He says, whosoever hath hated his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You need to understand something. When he talks about eternal life by abiding in him, when you read the scripture, okay, you read the gospels and you read the epistles of John, you're going to come across this concept. And that a concept is that of abiding or God abiding in us. Jesus made it very plain. If you abide in him, how do we abide in him? We abide in him by way of obedience obedience to his word. He says, then I will abide in you. Okay. Now you need to understand the Bible teaches that God is, Jesus is eternal life. The spirit of God is eternal life. Do you hear what I'm telling you? The Holy Ghost that dwells in us grants unto us eternal life. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you have the Holy Ghost, your eternal life starts right then. You have eternal life abiding in you. That eternal life is for your spirit, not your natural man, your spirit man. And when you have the Holy Ghost, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the Spirit of God who abides in you. Now, the Word of God made it very plain that the Spirit that raised up Christ, if it abide in us, will raise us up also. Watch how, watch where we go with this. Watch where we go with this. The spirit that we're talking about for us is the spirit of Christ. We're talking about the Holy Ghost. That's us. The spirit of God and the Holy Ghost are not two separate beings. There is one God. God is not a man. God is a spirit. And when we talk about the Holy Ghost, we are talking, we are using a term that refers to the nature and the character of God at the same time. Spirit is his nature. Holy is his character. So when you use the term Holy Ghost, you and I are, in essence, describing, we are, in essence, declaring that God is a spirit, but he's not just any spirit. He is a holy spirit. He is a pure spirit. He is an undefiled spirit. He is an untainted spirit. That spirit we receive and he dwells in us. 
And he does so in response to us first dwelling in him by way of obedience. What obedience? Obedience to the, to the gospel. You, it, listen, except a man be born again of the water, uh, born of the water and of the spirit, he shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Obedience. You have to start obeying the word of God. Obedience. When at the point of obeying, of obedience, we begin to dwell and abide in the Lord. We start to, oh, we start to, oh, to, we begin to abide and to dwell in the Lord first by way of obedience, but that's not enough because he got to do his part. We got to first do our part, which is be obedient to all that he said. That includes repenting of our sin. That includes being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That, do you hear what I'm saying? You got to do what he said do. Then he says, when you respond and you begin to do, you change your mind, you come to me. Then he says, and I will what? Abide in you. Now, when we get to John, 1 John 3 and 15, now that we kind of got all that other stuff out of the way, whosoever hated his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. The word of God, which is God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word what? Was God. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are life. They are life and they are the spirit. They are God. Do you know what I'm telling you? If God's word, if God's spirit is not in you, then the spirit that raised up Christ will not be raising you up because he does not, the Holy Ghost, abide in you. Do you hear what I'm saying? You want to make that first resurrection? How are you going to do that? You need the spirit of God dwelling in you. But if he does not abide in you, you're not going to make the first resurrection. Now, when we get to 1 John 3.15, in case we get confused as to whether or not we've got the Spirit of God, he makes it very easy to tell. He says, whosoever hated his brother, you need to understand first and foremost that you are considered in God's eyes a murderer. And you need to understand before we even get confused that no murderer hath eternal life dwelling or abiding in him. That means that as long as you hate your brother and your sister,
the spirit of the Lord says, I'm not abiding in that. I don't got no part in that. He says, I'm not with that. He says, I'm not in that. Because eternal life abiding in you is the equivalent of having the Holy Ghost abide in you. That's the equivalent of having the word of God abide in you. That's all. That's one and the same. That's not different. That's one and the same. It's only one God. And if uh, you are a murderer, God says you don't have the spirit in you. He said, you know that no murder hath eternal life. Look at 1 Peter. Let's see what we know. Let's see what we know. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. Look at what he says. In fact, let me do this. Before we do that one, give me Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's talk about what we know about about murderers let, let, let's let what what do we know verse 21 says this galatians 5 21 envyings murderers uh-oh murderers second one on the list envyings murderers in fact let me start it let me start it let me give you some context let's start at verse 19 now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Watch this. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, or in other words, and anything else like this, like any of that stuff, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, Paul saying, I told you once, I told you twice. He said, I told you before, and I'm telling you again now. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We're talking about what we know. Because remember, John said, Whosoever hated his brother is a murderer, and ye know. He said, you know this, that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. In other words, he said, and you know, and I'm getting ready to share something about you, about those who are considered murderers, something that you already know. Paul tells us what we already know in Galatians 5 and 21. That those murderers, those that have that, he said, uh -uh, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now look at now look at 1 Peter 4 and 15. What else do we know about murder? He says, there's some things that you already know. He says, but let none of you suffer 
as a murderer. In other words, he said, it's not God's will. God does not want you to suffer the consequences that befall those that are considered murderers. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. He says, don't, don't, don't suffer. He said, if you're going to suffer, verse 16 says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this path. He said, if you're going to suffer, let it be for the right thing. But don't suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. Why is he telling you don't do that? He's telling you don't suffer that because of what was stated in Galatians 5 and 21, which I took you back and had you start at 19, which said, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Everything in that category or anything similar to these things. He says, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't get in. I cannot get in. I cannot get in. So to combat these things, we are told something very simple. We are told, we are taught to examine ourselves. Take a look at first, second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. Amen. With what I've just spoken before. The scriptures in first John three 15, then I gave you Galatians five um, and we'll say 19 through 21. And then first Peter four, 15. Okay. We said we need to be careful about dying in that state of hatred. Now, in case somebody is mis misunderstands that, because there's some people that say, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not hate them and all this other kind of stuff. I, I just really, 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 really don't, I just really don't like them. Well, that word hate means in the scripture, to dislike intensely. To feel an aversion towards. It means to scorn. It means to decrease in status. That means you start, you devalue someone they're not worth it they're 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 they become lesser uh oh seem like that get prejudice and a whole bunch of other stuff as well it means to be hostile towards it means to be an enemy or to be at war against one that you're at war against it means to grow tired of. 
that's the type of of hate that he's talking about and if and and if you understand that then what you are now in possession of within your understanding is is that the hate you now know that the hatred that he's talking about covers a wide spectrum of points on the hate radar in which a person can be on. And if they are on, if they are at one of those points within that spectrum, that is the type of hatred that if it's present and accounted for in your heart, by the time you check out of here, you will be convicted as a murderer. Don't play the hate game. I'm reaching for somebody. Don't play the hate game. Get it under the blood. I don't care if you got to stay on your knees 24-7. Lord, take this out of me. Take this root of bitterness out of me. Lord, touch my heart. God, heal me. Help me to see. God, show me something that helps me to forgive this person. Help me to see me as them. I use this analogy and I've been using it lately and I'll give it to you as well. But the person that you feel that you perceive has done you wrong and you find yourself that your your feelings toward them starts to line up on that hate radar because remember we tend to think of it as this whole extreme thing but with the definition of what it is it actually covers a whole wide range but maybe somebody's done you wrong or something's happened or whatever else it is and you're starting to feel that your feelings toward that person are starting to plop up starting to kind of just pop up on that radar you're starting to find that it's fitting within the within the spectrum analogy that I that I start to started using and I kind of share with others to help you is imagine if that if imagine that you were that person who did that very thing that they're doing to you right now okay put yourself in their shoes imagine that you are that person and you've done the very same thing that they've done to you but here's the caveat. But pretend that not only did you do the exact same thing, but pretend that somehow, some way you woke up. You came to your senses. You realized that what you did was wrong. Now, they may not have done that to you, but pretend that you did what they did. But the difference is that you've woken up and realized that it was wrong. If you were that person who did that thing, and then you finally realized that you was wrong, would you want to be forgiven? Would you want a second chance? Would you want to be given the opportunity to make things right? 
if you did something wrong and you finally looked up and said, oh my goodness, I have messed up. And if the answer, my brother or my sister is, is that yes, if I had done that, but I realized I was wrong and I know that I would want a second chance, I would want some patience, I would want people to have some grace, I would want some forgiveness, if you know that that's what you would want. then give that to the person who's done it to you in advance. That's how you deal with it. Whatever you would want, give that to them in advance. If you would want forgiveness, then forgive them. If you would want a second chance, then give them a second chance. Whatever you'd want. Because you don't want something like hatred to cancel your flight plans to heaven. Don't, nah, refuse that. Don't, don't go that way. We've been given a way to try to, to circumvent this. Second Corinthians 13 and five says this, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. He says, examine yourselves. Examine means to test. It means to put to the test in order to ascertain the nature of something, including imperfections, faults, or other qualities. He says, test yourself. He says, put yourself to the test. But you're putting yourself to the test for the purpose of finding out where you drop the ball. But notice he says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. But then he says, prove your own selves. Prove also means test in a way, but it means to examine. It means to check something out. It literally means, the word proved there literally means to observe or to check it out or to look something over carefully or to inspect it. So in essence, the, when he says, examine yourselves, and then he says, prove your own selves, what the writer is actually telling you is he's saying, put yourself to the test to see if you measure up and look over carefully the results that come up. That's literally what he's telling you. He says, put yourself to the test and then examine the results. Be real about the results. Where are my shortcomings? Am I truly walking in the faith? That means, am I saved? Examine means to put to the test. Not a test, the test. He says, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. In other words, test whether you are saved or not. 
How do I do that? Line it up to what the scripture says. Well, where is that at? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. That's all it is. Line it up. Not only does it refer to just your salvation, but it refers to your day-to-day -day walk. Am I really walking in the spirit? Am I carrying on the way God wants me to do? Examine. And then examine the results. He says, know you not your own selves? How Jesus Christ said, don't you know? You should, in other words, you should know if the spirit of the Lord is dwelling in you. And you can tell if you what? Examine yourself. Put it to the test. What is the test? I told you, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. What is the test? The scriptures that talk about how we're supposed to live. Because remember, it's not just your salvation, but it also refers to your day-to-day -day walk. After you've been saved, it's all of that. First, all of that. How are children of God supposed to act? Are you acting that way or are you not? Put it to the test. What's the test? The word of God. Line yourself up to the word of God. This is what the word of God says to do. The question is, is am I doing it? If I'm not doing it, then remember, pay attention to the result. If I'm not doing it, what am I doing? And if what I'm doing is not what he told me to do, then what does the word tell me about overcoming or how to overcome what I'm doing? That's not meeting his standard of approval. If I'm not doing the right thing, what does the word of God teach me and tell me about how to overcome whatever that wrong thing is? Because the Bible tells you how to overcome. Last time I checked, the word of God says, overcome evil with good. If I'm acting evil, then I got to start doing good. If I'm walking in the flesh, the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? If I have a problem in one area, the word of God. Shows me how to overcome that. If I'm doing the wrong thing, the Bible will tell me what the right thing is. If I'm doing what I shouldn't be doing, the word of God will tell me what I should be doing. Amen. And what is it that we should be doing? First John 3, 23. The church is commanded to operate in love. And we're coming to a close here. First John 
3.23 says this, and this is the commandment. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. But I don't remember the Lord giving us a commandment. Turn to St. John chapter 13. Look at verse 34 and 35. Here's your commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. But this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Love is the ID card that all believers are to be in possession of and carry with them at all times. There should be no, there should be no time that we don't operate in a loving way. Love is not optional. It's mandatory. A new commandment I give unto you. That's a law. God prefers, requires that we will operate in love. Philippians 2 and 4 says this, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You can't just be concerned about yourself. You can't afford to become indifferent where nothing matters and only you matter. Because the church is commanded to operate in love and in operating in love, that means not just operate, that don't mean just loving yourself, that means loving your brother and your sister. Why? Because real compassion should, all, should be a manifestation of genuine love. Selfishness, selfishness or being self-centered, that's, that's not a manifestation of compassion. Real compassion should be a manifestation, should be birthed out of, should come out of genuine love for one another. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. First John 3, 23. God bless your family. Until next time, we will pick this back up. And I'm telling you, it's just a wonderful time in the Lord. I pray that this lesson, these lessons have been a blessing. And take some time, go over it. Examine yourself. Remember, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Check yourself out. Put yourself to the test and then examine the results. And if you're out of line, brothers and sisters, it's time for us to line back up. God bless you. Until next time. Mm -hmm.